I was delighted to receive an invitation to give the sermon today uh, so that I could give uh, Terry a rest and she didn't have to prepare a sermon because she was already doing one for a wedding uh, because I so appreciate this church and I wanted to um, offer us a good word. That is, I was delighted until I actually read the texts for the day. I had been hoping for the 23rd Psalm um, about the Lord being a kindly shepherd or uh, 1 John where it speaks of God as love or 1 John where it speaks of God as light or something beautiful on forgiveness, which I would really appreciate. But instead, we got one from Zephaniah and it was all about wrath. And we got one from the New Testament, a story where it was about a man a lot like me who would have hidden a talent and not done anything with it because he's fiscally conservative (laughs) and then would have ended up in the place of the gnashing of the teeth. So this was a tough one. I thought, well, I just will pretend they're not there (laughs) and just read a poem. But one thing I really appreciate about uh, our tradition is that we do try to make the best of what is given to us. And that means in the Bible too. The Bible for us has a vote in how we think, not veto power. We can disagree. We can disapprove. But we do want to hear it. And we do perhaps want to make sense of ideas which at first can seem so disconcerting, like the idea of wrath. Wrath in God, wrath in us. So I decided to offer a word on wrath. And you are free to leave at this moment if you'd like to. I want to begin by drawing a distinction between what I would call uh, destructive wrath and then talk about constructive wrath. But by destructive wrath, I mean vengeance. I mean the impulse to retaliate. I mean wanting someone else to suffer because you think they've done something wrong and they deserve to suffer and you get satisfaction in their suffering and you feel righteous in that satisfaction. I want to call that destructive wrath. And I want to say I don't think it has a place in human life or in the divine life. But I do want to talk about constructive wrath. And by constructive wrath, I mean an anger that's real and genuine. It's not an anger that you cling to. If you cling to anger, it becomes resentment. And that's a problem. But there is a place in our lives, and I want to suggest in God's life, for for constructive anger that is truly aimed in a loving way for the well-being of all and the well-being of individuals. So I want to talk about constructive wrath. And what I'd like to do is to introduce you to five ideas concerning constructive wrath that mean a lot to me. I, I don't know if they're worthy, so be it, and if they're not, so be it. I spent most of this week uh, disturbing people, saying, what do you think of wrath? And And one of the first um, surprising responses for me was with my wife, Kathy. 
And we were out to dinner, and I said, I'm going to speak at St. Peter's, and my topic is wrath. And she said, wrath? She said, oh, I get that. And I thought, Kathy, you know, you're a gentle soul. What do you mean? She said, no, I get it. I said, tell me. And she explained that when she was a young girl, the oldest daughter, uh, she was in charge of having of folding the laundry in a family of five children. And they would get the laundry, and they'd take it into their parents' room, a big mound of laundry, and her job was to get the children to fold the laundry, the other kids to fold the laundry. And she said there were one of two approaches I could take. Here was one approach. Well, we have to do the laundry. Mom and Dad want us to do it. Nobody wants to do it, but we have to do it. They're going to be mad if we don't, so let's do it. And she said that that particular approach really didn't work very well. Uh, that the kids would start fighting, uh, they would disagree with one another, they wouldn't fold it very well, and she would probably end up doing all the folding herself. But there was option two. Option two would, was to get a gleam in her eye and say, we have to do the laundry in 30 minutes. And if we don't do the laundry, the evil witch is going to come. Now, you should have heard Kathy tell this, because when she said the evil witch, there was a smile on her face. And trust me, Kathy has nothing against witches, and I don't either. But I understood the image. It was the image of a something, a someone, a somehow, that would make things kind of scary and kind of bad if we didn't do the laundry. And what that was for me was not wrath per se, but it was the threat of catastrophe. The threat of horrible things happening if we don't do the right thing. And I think that that's a little bit related to wrath. And I think some of the biblical stories you can read as just a utilization of the idea of the threat of catastrophe as a mobilizing factor, a motivating factor. I asked Kathy, who was the evil witch? Was it you? Was it your parents? Was it circumstances? And she said, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It was the idea that catastrophe can occur if we don't do the right thing. Well, truth be told, I think we live in a time where that's a pretty good message. Uh, global climate change, the injustices with which we uh, treat one another all the time. We, we do uh, reap what we sow all so often. And so I don't think it's bad to have threats of catastrophe as mobilizing factors. That's idea one. Here's the second and the third. One of my favorite writers is Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he's one of the most well-known Jewish writers of the 20th century. He marched with Martin Luther King from Selma to Montgomery. Heschel was just a saint of a person, very wise. He was also a brilliant scholar, and he wrote a book on the prophets, the Hebrew prophets. And it's a book available to scholars and also to the rest of us. And he knew in writing about the prophets that he was going to be speaking about um, prophets who talked about divine wrath and about punishment. And he knew us. He knew that, that when we read the book, we would be secretly wishing, I just wish they weren't there. 
I just wish they hadn't put it that way. Can we have a new edition of the Bible? Let's just excise that material and have all the nice things. God is love. God, God loves justice. Can we just do that? Heschel said, of course I understand that, but you need to be, we need to know what we would be missing. Because you see, in the image of divine wrath, when you see wrath, what you really see is pain. And images of divine wrath in the Bible can be understood as images of divine pain. And divine pain is not a bad thing. We Jews, we Christians, we believe in a God who experiences pain. We believe in a God who suffers wherever there's suffering. We believe in a God who prefers compassion to its opposite. Don't get rid of divine pain. Let wrath mean divine pain. I thought that was a good idea, so that's the second idea. Here's the third. Heschel says, the opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy. If you want to see where there's not love, look for people who just don't care about anybody or except those they're close to. That's not love. But in most loving relationships, there is a place, there is room for anger. And sometimes the anger is really a good thing. Now, I here speak as a beneficiary. I have received anger, critique from friends, family members, and I feel grateful. Thank you. I didn't see that. You do. I can be a better person. Thank you. And, were you. and you're angry with me because you love me. And you know I can do better. And I think I can too. But I wouldn't know that if you didn't judge me. Thank you. Now if you're a parent, you, you have this feeling with regard to your children too. I bet one or two of you have been angry with one of your children. You weren't angry because you didn't love your child. But you were angry because you really loved your child. And you wanted your child to not harm himself or herself, not harm others, be the best person he or she can be. That's, that's the third idea. I think wrath has a place as anger actually within a relationship if it's in the context of love. Here's the fourth idea. And I get this idea actually from a very soft soul. I get it from Jane Goodall. And recently I've been reading a prayer of hers, a prayer for world peace. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer for peace, but it's a prayer against cruelty, against injustice, against what we do to other people against what we do to children, against what we do to old people, against what we do to animals, against what we do to the earth. Jane Goodall, in her soft way, has a freedom to say no, not just yes. No, not just yes. I don't think it's a no directed toward particular people. I don't think it's a I hate you. 
But I do think it's a, this is wrong. These cruelties, these brutalities, just today, we hear of another beheading, just today. And what does this, the, the examples of the beheadings do to us? They, they touch us deeply. There's something wrong about that. You just don't do that. We just don't do that. It violates something deep in the cosmos. It violates heaven. We just don't do it. We call that moral outrage. Now, moral outrage clung to can become pretty, pretty negative, too. But there's a place in life for moral outrage at the injustices, the cruelties. That's a kind of wrath. Tell you the truth, I think God must have some of that wrath in too. Because if God wants shalom, if God wants peace, if God wants the fullness of life, surely God too must be a bit disappointed with the way things are. Let there be some outrage in God too. So that's the fourth idea, that moral outrage can be a kind of constructive wrath. Here's the, here's the fifth. It's that wrath can be a kind of grace. And to tell you uh, why I'm saying this, I need to tell you a story. Uh, several years ago, I was at a retreat led by an Episcopal priest. His name was Tilden Edwards. And he wanted to introduce us to praying with icons. Uh, in, in the Orthodox tradition. And he said, when you, so he got an icon, and it was the icon of Jesus. It was an icon of Jesus made in the 6th century. And it was about this big, and he asked us to kneel in front of the icon, and Jesus had two eyes, and he said, now, you might think I'm going to ask you to look into the eyes of Jesus, but that's not really what I'm going to ask you. I want you to let Jesus look into your heart. And so imagine an icon, and when you look at the icon, you let Jesus look into you and, and receive Jesus' love. That was the prayer. No words, just the eye and the act of imagination. But Jesus, like the rest of us in this icon, had eyebrows. And in this particular icon, one eyebrow was rounded and the other was arched. And we all, as we were learning how to do this, felt something not so good about that arched eyebrow. So we all focused on the rounded one. I'm just going to look in the left eye. I'm just going to let Jesus look into me with his left eye. That's what we were all thinking. And that was fine. You know, you, you left, let the left eye of Jesus look into you, and you, you felt it was him saying, come unto you, come unto me. I love you as you are. Relax into your finitude. You're beautiful. Yes. Yes. Welcome, old friend. We loved that. But we went to Tilden. We said, can't deal with that other eye. And Tilden, he made a really great point. He said, think of it this way. Think of it as like a laser beam. And it goes to your heart and its aim is to burn away all those places inside you that keep you from becoming the person that you would like to be and that God wants you to be too, namely a carrier of God's love. Burns away the resentments, burns away the attachments, 
burns away the addictions, burns away the obsessions. A burning love, a laser-like love that burns away. And as soon as he said that, we thought, I got it. I've got those places. I've got those places that need to be burned away. And in a funny kind of way, we began to appreciate judgment. Not judgment as something negative, like you have to feel guilty for the rest of your life, but judgment like, you're right. I need to be cleaned out. I need something to be burned away. And that's what I'm going to mean by wrath as grace. Because if that's wrath, it's really kind of beautiful. And we really kind of need it. We need both eyes. That's the last idea. Now, like I was saying, we get the Bible. We get these images. We, we can do things with them. Now, on the parable uh, of the talents there, as I said, I would have been the slave. I would have been in the place of the gnashing of the teeth. And so I also went in my mind and heart to the prodigal son. And I went to the father there. And the father who, who in the Jewish tradition, as this tale is told, saw his son and the son said, I can't come all the way back. And the father says to the son, you come as far as you can and I'll come the rest of the way. And then we'll go together. Now, to my mind, that's what God is really like. The love is the deepest. Wrath is never the final word. Wrath can be a kind of love in the larger context of that final word. Thank you.